Welcome back to What We Believe and Why. We finished our journey through the book, and we're spending a few moments that remain visiting with its author, Pastor George Koch. Now, this is a pretty sizable work, Pastor. What is it that drove you to the point where you sat down and said, I'm going to challenge a work of this size? Well, I think it began, although I didn't realize it at the time, when I was a kid. And we were in what I would today describe as a pretty narrow fundamentalist church. Uh, And its view of virtually all other churches was that they were in grave error, and if you belonged to them, you were likely not saved. And I accepted that, as did all of the kids in the class. But as I got older, I began to experience what you described of the kid on his bicycle on the block. You begin with your backyard, and that's huge. That's the universe. And then there's the first time you actually go around the whole block on your bicycle, and on and on until you've begun to visit other parts of the world, and you realize that the world was not quite as small and narrow as it was when you were two years old, when you were three years old. I had the same experience as I began getting active in my life as a Christian in high school and then on into college, and I began trying to live out my faith on the ground, uh, actually in the inner city uh, in Chicago in a program that I was involved in there. And I met Christians there who not only were a completely different color than I was, but had different faiths and a different way of believing and worshiping than anything I'd been exposed to. And I realized that my view of what it was to be a Christian was pretty tiny. And I needed to take a step back and begin to understand how broad and glorious the church of Jesus Christ is, and that it encompasses the entire world. It goes across cultures, it goes across traditions, and what is common to all of them is that Savior, Jesus Christ, and faith in him. When I realized that, I realized that I also needed to step back and assess my own narrowness and then educate myself as to the ways in which people followed Jesus. And what I discovered pretty quickly was that the variety was enormous. The core was the same. And there was also a great crisis, a a really terrible process underway in the church broadly. And it was a combination of fear of others who are not just like us, a fear common to humanity, but it was right there in the middle of the church, and a dismissal and even a pridefulness about ourselves and the way we do it compared to them. And then on into condemnation of how they do it as well. Into condemnation, disfellowship, probably the, the ultimate... Uh, example of that is even one that I cited in the book, and that was when a friend of mine and I, both pastors, were standing on a street corner and some street evangelists came up to us. 
and they said, uh, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And we both said, yes, we do. Hallelujah. We were really glad to be able to respond to them that way. And they said, have you been baptized as a Christian? And we said, yes, we have. And I think they even said in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we said, yes, we have. And then they said, but you weren't baptized in our church. And we said, no, because we'd never even met these people before then. And they said, well, don't you realize that the entire church worldwide outside of our congregation is unfaithful? And if you've been baptized anywhere else, you are still lost in your sins. Come with us right now to our church and let us baptize you there, and then you can be sure that you've been saved. That's sad, actually. It is. Now, that's an extreme example, but during the course of our journey through this book, you've showed us more nuanced examples of deviation from this concept or that concept that so easily can get in the way of us being who Jesus wants us to be. Well, and probably the fundamental approach, the idea, the understanding here is that if we look at Scripture— which is, it's really the mind of God revealed. I believe God was very serious in leading the authors of Scripture to write what they wrote, and he's very serious by the Holy Spirit in giving us eyes to see and understand what was written, that there's a dual inspiration, if you would, of the authors and of the readers. And we read the narrative in Scripture of God's love for his people, his pursuit of them, his desire for relationship with us. Jesus emphasizes this again and again, tells parables about it. You read the scriptures, you get the idea. It's there. The narrative is there. The exhortations, the commandments, it's all there. It's rich and full. And and when you allow yourself to imbibe it, it changes, it changes you from the inside out. All good, all good. But what has happened is that various theologians over the course of centuries, and I would put myself in this category loosely, but theologian theology means basically God talk. It means talking about God. What do we believe? Why do we believe it? So over the centuries, theologians have taken the scripture as they have read it, and they have drawn from it certain themes and certain ideas and put these into propositional logic, if you would. They've drawn conclusions from it, and they have constructed philosophical concepts. It's a very natural process that they've used. We use it anytime we review a book or a movie. We analyze it, and then we draw conclusions about it. And those conclusions have become, over the course of century, doctrines. They have defined movements in the church. The problem is we've actually reached the point now where our concepts have become so important to us, they are virtually idols. We virtually worship them. And if the concepts you have arrived at are different— from the concepts I have arrived at, it's as if we have competing gods. 
and I just can't have anything to do with you because you do not worship my God. The problem is our concepts are, they're our own ideas. These are thoughts that have come out of the heads of men and women and have been put on paper or papyrus or electronically, and and they've gained adherence and opponents. And those have become the idols of our age, and we fight over them, we separate over them, we dismiss each other, we disfellowship each other. We've done the opposite of what Jesus prayed for us, that we all would be one. And if you look at his disciples when he prayed that prayer, they didn't have their doctrine straight. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find any one of them that expressed a doctrine. And yet, there was Jesus praying for unity with these disciples who were all over the map. But he wanted them to be one in him as he was one in them and he was one in the Father. A kind of unity which has very little to do with our own thoughts about God, but has everything to do with whose followers we are. The book is called What We Believe and Why, and you're hearing the heart of George Koch, the author. Uh, George, obviously it's instructional, but just listening to you talk, it's, there's an admonition and almost a warning that's woven into this text, is there not? Well, there is, and in fact, what I've done, particularly toward the end, after I have spent the book really showing the reader how Christians believe differently yet are still followers of that one Lord. And I've done this, I believe, without compromise. I've done it without promoting universalism. I'm not headed in any of those directions. I'm really trying to show why we should have respect for the ways in which people live out their lives as followers of Jesus. And then at the end, What I conclude is those things which we have done, which we are guilty of, the ways in which we have been prideful toward each other, the ways we have dismissed each other, been sarcastic, uh, declared you anathema, not truly saved, come to my church so I can baptize you here. That kind of behavior is so contrary to what Jesus has told us to do and prayed that we would do. We need to repent of it. We need to confess that we have been that way toward each other. We need to stop it, and we need to change and begin to love each other, not just those that are like us, but even those that aren't like us. Jesus told us to do that. Well, if you've been following with us during the course of this program, I know some of these truths have likely resonated with your heart. It's also the case that denominational leaders from all stripes are jumping on board and saying, yes, this is a good piece of writing. So thank you, George Koch, for that. Thank and thank you for joining us. We want to make sure that you know that whatwebelieveandwhy.com is where you can get a copy of the book if you haven't done so. More resources available there your journey into a deeper, more loving faith available for you. And we hope that this radio program has been part of that. Thanks for joining us for What We Believe and Why.